Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week we're chatting to Jeff McDonald, co-founder of Minds at Work and a prolific mental health campaigner. Thanks for tuning in. Hey Jeff McDonald, welcome to The Form Guide. How's it, Rob? Uh, yeah, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. Are you a Belinda Carlisle fan, Jeff? That was the uh, the track we opened up with there. Yeah, you know, Rob, I am I am an imbecile when it comes to music. <laughs> so you know, you are on another planet compared to me. I mean, I probably know Neil Diamond, and that's about it. I could have I could have selected a Neil Diamond for you. I think that would have been very well. So we're talking about that was Belinda Carlisle, Heaven is a Place on Earth. And and you know, you're in a place on earth right now, Jeff. Tell us where you are. So I'm I've currently just got back from uh, five wonderful months in my home country, which is South Africa. You know, we we've got family back there. We hadn't seen them for a long, long time. So we decided to go back in December after lots of uh, thinking about whether that was the right thing to do during a pandemic. But, you know, we felt, look, we needed to get out. And then coronavirus hit in terms of the South African variant. I know you down in Kent, so you know what it's like to feel you've got a Kent variant, you've got a South African variant. And, um, and it became clear that it wasn't such a good idea for us to come back and it was going to be very difficult for us to come back. So I've spent the last five months, uh, but eventually returned on Sunday and so I'm speaking to you today from my, my hotel room at the Sofitel in Heathrow because I've come back from a red list country and we've all got to isolate for 10 days. So that's where I am. And uh, 10, days in the, 10 days in the Sofitel. But you've been upgraded, haven't you? You've got quite a nice uh, a suite in the Sofitel now. <laughs> you know, Rob, it's all about being kind and yeah. nice at the end of the day. You know, yes, when I, I had the most horrendous, horrendous entry into the UK through customs, baggage hall, a coach. I took, I landed at half past nine. I got to my hotel at about 4.30. I was incandescent with rage as I got into the hotel. But once I got into the hotel, the people here were just so friendly, so helpful. I think they all empathize with what we're going to go through 10 days in a hotel room on your own. And, uh, and I relayed this to the owner of the Sofitel, and half an hour later, I, I got an upgrade into the most wonderful room. So the last two days was in some, not the greatest of rooms, but I'm so fortunate for the room that I'm now uh, talking to you from. Yeah. And, you know, the lesson for me there was, you know, we could just be kind and just be nice to people. Um, good things, good things come. Good things come. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't agree more. So, Jeff, you are co-founder of Minds at Work. You are a prolific campaigner, uh, improving mental health and well-being in our workplaces, and you've been doing this for for a long time. And, and you're also my inspiration, really. As um, I was reflecting this morning, that. Uh, four years ago, almost now, in uh, a small conference room in, uh, in in London, I heard you share your story, which inspired me to share mine. And the reaction to sharing that story sent me on this journey. And and here we are doing doing this stuff together. And so I wanted to sort of call that out at the start, really, and thank you for for that inspiration that you uh, you gave me those years ago. Yeah, Rob. I mean, you know, um, that's very very kind of you. But, uh, you know, yeah, what you've done over the last four years has just been incredible. It's been amazing. And, uh, and, I'm, just, and I'm just so happy that I was able to maybe catalyze, spark a thought, uh, which led you to, to the work that you're doing, which I'm sure you agree with me, is probably the most rewarding work and time in your life. You know, I spent 25 years uh, in a big organization, a global career. Um, and yes, I had rewards, but I don't know. I think, was it Frankel who said, you know, something about, you know, well, I think Churchill, Churchill, we earn a living by getting and we earn a life by giving. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I think, I think that's, that's part of what you and I have been doing, you know, over the years is just trying to give back to the world and, and we earn a life by doing that. Yeah, and I, th I think you're right. And, you know, that sense of purpose, that meaningful activity that we're fortunate enough to do every day um, is, is very powerful. And I, I definitely want to explore that with you too. Um, so we've got uh, Stuart Green uh, on the, the live says, hi, 
um, and Marlene was a fan of the, uh, the the song choice at the start. So welcome everyone tuning in on uh, on the live as well. So Jeff, um, before we get into this, and I definitely want to cover sense of purpose. I want to cover the state of the union of mental health at work, and I'd also like to touch on that kind of getting out into nature and the environment, particularly given where you've been in the last uh, you know few months. But first of all, the question that I'm, I'm sure you're uh, expecting me to ask of you, which is, how are you today out of 10? Um, as you can see, I, I'm, I'm just going to actually change mine up because, you know, spending a bit of time with you, um, I'm now a 7 out of 10. I've been experiencing a few challenges with my mental health recently, just that long COVID, that inability to get out there into nature and exercise and get on my bike. And that's been sort of getting me down a little bit, but I feel hopefully that, that it's lightening, that load is lightening. But how about you, Jeff? What's your score today? Yeah, I'll give myself, I'm going to give myself an eight out of 10 today, Rob. Brilliant. You know, I, um, I came into this isolation. I mean, I'm, I'm a real fan of Viktor Frankl. And one of the freedoms, the ultimate freedom, is to choose your attitude. Yeah. The ultimate freedom is to choose your attitude. And I really decided that when I arrived here, I was going to choose my attitude. And, and that is just, it's just been, it's just been really important for me mm. to do that. And in doing that, I think it's a lot, it, it's given me the wherewithal to, to be an eight, to be an eight out of 10. I mean, I could have come in here and continued to keep that grudging incandescent rage that I experienced. And I could have had 10 very miserable days here, but I've chosen my attitude. And, uh, and I too, Rob, was really looking forward to, to engaging with you today. So, so yeah, eight out of 10. Eight out of ten. We'll, we'll, we'll take that. And and what attitude have you chosen? Because you're right. You could have uh, allowed that that frustration of getting through customs five hours or whatever it took you to to get through um, into then being you know locked on your own for ten days, not being able to go anywhere. What attitude have you chosen? And and it's really interesting the power of the mind, isn't it, to uh, to frame that? Yeah. The I mean, the attitude I've chosen is one. It is what it is. Hmm. I mean, there's nothing I can do about this. It is what it is. And the other is, I had five amazing months in South Africa. The most wonderful time back home. And you know what? 10 days in a hotel for those five months, any day. I'll, yeah. I'll take it any day. Yeah. And so I think that's, been my, that's the attitude. It's about being positive about this. It is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. And by the way, by doing this, I'm protecting others. So I'm probably doing a good thing yeah. by having these 10 days in the hotel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we have to look at the world around us, you know, the, 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 what's going on in India right now, you know, the fact that a lot of people won't be able to work in the UK with the, with, with the, you know, the, the economic situation and people losing jobs. And I think we've, yeah, for me, gratitude cannot go some way in, in offsetting the, the, the difficulties that we can experience and, and put them yeah. into a bit of context, can't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. What would, a, what, a, what would a perfect 10 day look like for you, Jeff? You know, that kind of utopia of a, a 10 out of 10. I don't think I have one. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think that's, I don't think, I, I mean, I mean I, Rob, you know, I, I don't think I can imagine it. I mean, I am somebody who is susceptible to anxiety, fuel, depression. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had my, I had my crucible moment back in 2008, as you know, uh, I lost my very good friend to suicide in 2012, which catalyzed me into this journey. Um, and I have had to work very, very hard every single day since my crucible moment in life to maintain my recovery as somebody who is susceptible to anxiety, fuel, depression. And so there's part of me that, that, that can't actually imagine a 10. Um, yep. I, can imagine, I can imagine a nine. Um, but, you know, I do wake up most mornings feeling a bit anxious. Mm. And, and it's important for me then to get up and to just get the day going and start the day. And as I start that day, you know, what would that nine look like? I've gone for a bit of a run or a walk or a walk, you know, 
just reconnected with nature, got out there uh, and enjoyed some of that time. I've had a day where I felt that I've been giving in in my work. And by the way, I don't like there to be too much of that because you know what it's like as we tell our stories over and over. That can be hugely draining. Yeah. But, but just knowing that I've got a day where, you know, I've got, I've got some meetings, I've got some conversations, I'm hopefully making us, hopefully just making one person breathe a little bit easier. I think it was Ralph Emerson who once said, success is defined by helping one person in a day breathe a little easier. And if I can achieve that, wonderful. And then, you know, having a, having a good evening at home, uh, time with the family, time with Debbie, my wife. Um, I suppose that for me is my best description of 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 a nine. Yeah, you know, there, I think there was a book written by a guy called Johan Hari who talks yeah. about you know lost connections. Yeah, and and I suppose you know if you think about a day where you where you feel that connection to your own sense of meaning, your own sense of purpose. You feel a real connection to to some meaningful values, like being kind and nice to people. You've had that opportunity to to connect with a friend, with a family member, with your community, with nature. Um, you know, I mean, I think having 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 that connection and and being mindful of of that connection and trying to do some of the things that that allow you to have those connections, I think are all the ingredients of of a of a nine. Or an eight of a day. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that lost connections book. It's it's really interesting and very relevant. Do you feel that the pandemic has obviously eroded our connections and has stretched them and made them, you know, diff- difficult to maintain in certain situations? You know, particularly in the workplace, we're not there physically. Um, yeah. Do you think people will value their connections more now? And do you think we we see that sort of renaissance against this loss of connection? Sure, Rob. You know, I I have my days of real optimism and I have my days of real pessimism with respect to what we will do with the window of opportunity that exists as we move through the portal and come out of this pandemic. We have a real window of opportunity to live in a more caring and humane world. Because I think during the pandemic, we've seen that come to the fore in workplaces, amongst friends, a greater degree of care, a greater degree of humanity and and I have days where I believe that that can continue as we move through that portal. But then I have other days where I look at what's going on in some parts of the world that have kind of come through it. And I wonder whether, whether we actually are taking the lessons, whether we are going to value friendship, connection um, to the same extent as, as we would we would like to but i think overall overall i would hope so i would hope so you know you and i were chatting before we we came on around how covid has democratized the whole conversation around mental health and mental ill health yeah and um and it's democratized that conversation and that's because none of us have been immune from the psychological effects of covid yeah driven by factors like the loss of a loved one, mm. uh, the disruption to your family system, uh, um, working from home and being virtual, uh, and probably the most important, as you said, the disruption to the social connections, those social connections. And so I think having lived a year without those, maybe we come through the pandemic truly, truly valuing those and not taking them for granted going forward. But it was a bit like I used to live close to the sea, you know, in South Africa, in Durban. And people in Johannesburg who would come down for a holiday at the end of the year, I mean, every single day they were on the beach, all right? Because I lived there, I wasn't on the beach every single day. Yeah. 
I kind of had taken it for granted that the beach was there. And I just hope we don't take for granted um, the, the value and the beauty in social connection. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And I oscillate mostly uh, to the point of optimism, but sometimes to the point of concern. I, I've, I've seen some worrying statistics that I, I never thought I'd see at this point where a bunch of, um, and it's not been released yet, but a bunch of um, you know, HR leads were interviewed and 40% of them said that mental health was not a priority for their organization. Now, that staggers me as a result. You know, I would not expect to be seeing those statistics at this moment in time, yeah. given what we've just gone through. And then yet yeah, I see other statistics that you know, well-being spend will be increased or maintained in, in other reports. But you know, for me, I think empathy is really important with this. You know, that it has been democratized. We've all experienced a challenge to our mental health. Does that create a greater degree of empathy for those that will struggle more regularly? And my answer is hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm keen to pick up on a few of these threads, but before we do that, we're going to get into the quick fire round, Jeff. And this is something that I haven't asked you to prepare for, but um, I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. If mental health were a something, what would it be? And uh, I've been looking forward to your answers on this one. So nothing that Jeff McDonald's had a chance to think about, but if mental health were an animal, Jeff, what would it be? mental health were an animal what would it be it would be an eagle an eagle i love it why an eagle because i think mental health is the most wonderful powerful thing you can have and when you see an eagle in the sky with those huge wings flying and the power that that eagle has as it swoops here and swoops there i just think it's the most wonderful sight and you know you and i rob have had this conversation before brand mental health is the most damaged brand i've ever come across in my yeah. life and you know what mental health is just a wonderful thing to have when you and i can think clearly we can concentrate our cognitive ability is good wow i'm telling you it's great to have and the more we can encourage people and and have inspirational images around mental health and get them to think about how they're going to maintain their good mental health, the better. Uh, just like we do with physical health, all the images that you see around physical health, a Nike store, chiseled whippets all over the world. You heard me say that before, you know, it's inspirational stuff. Yeah. When it comes to mental health, there's Jeff McDonald and Rob Stevenson with their hands in their head, some black and white photograph. <laughs> but yeah, an eagle soaring and being powerful in the way in which it's, it's taking on the, taking yeah. on the way. I, I love it. I'm with, I'm with you. Um, so, you know, that aspirational image of gaining height, being powerful, of, of living your potential, um, as opposed to kind of crawling along the ground and no disrespect to the worms or the mental health worms out there. But the eagle, I love it. OK, so if mental health were a colour, Jeff, what colour would it be for you? Bright. What's a nice bright colour? So they're probably yellow. yellow. You know, the sun yeah. brings sunlight. It brings hope. It brings growth. It's bright. It's a wonderful thing to have. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yellow, yellow, yellow of the sun, uh, hope and yeah. brightness. Very good. Yeah. Mental health were a food, Jeff. What would it be for you? For me, um, it would be a top deck chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Why a top deck specifically? Because I love it. I just love a top deck. A Cadbury's top deck. I just love a Cadbury's top deck. It's my nemesis in life. It's my Achilles heel. I mean, I can't go most evenings without a, you know a couple of a couple of blocks of top deck Cadbury's chocolate, and and I I love it. And yeah. again, it comes back to my. I think mental health, I love it. I think it's a wonderful thing to have. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing and your guilty pleasure. I like it. So if mental health were a song, what would it be? We've already sort of touched on your sort of musical prowess or, or uh, lack thereof, it's Jeff. But what song now, comes to mind for, for, for mental health? You know what song comes to mind? And now I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm probably going to contradict myself. But I'll tell you the song that comes to mind. And, and I probably, you know what, you, you heard what an imbecile I am when it comes to, to, to music but I know that there have been lots and lots of songs sung about the power of love yeah it, and is there I mean is there a song called the power of love 
there is a song called The Power of Love, yeah, by Jennifer Rutschiff, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So that is that is my song. And you know why that is my song? Because in my darkest, darkest moments, when I was struggling and ill with anxiety-fueled depression, the only thing that kept me alive in my darkest moments was knowing how much I was loved. Yeah. And every time... I hear a song or that song, The Power of Love, I get goosebumps. Because that emotion, the most powerful emotion in the world, together with hope, were the two things that allowed me to become mentally healthy. So when you talk about a song that comes to mind, when I think of the words mental health, it's a song that it relates to the power of the most powerful emotion in the world called love. Yeah. And all of our work that you and I do, Rob, around breaking stigma, around normalizing this conversation, is that we give those billions and billions of people who are suffering in silence right now that little chance to have a conversation where through that conversation, they might experience love and hope. Yeah. And lead to a path of recovery. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, the power of love, the power of hope. Yeah, I think there is. I think there is a song, "The Power of Love." Um, we'll 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 dig that one out and put it in the uh, put a link in the notes for you. But you're Please. right. You're right. It is. And for the same with me, at my darkest times, it was people that I knew loved me and would be there for me that could help me through those dark times. And I think for people that might hear this that are in a dark time right now, because many will be, um, there is hope um, and self-love is important. And you know, leaning into those people that, that do love you is also important. So uh, some uh, some good appreciation on the chat from that one. So the power of love, I think it's Jennifer Rush, but we'll uh, we'll find out. I'm not gonna try and sing it to you, Jeff. I, I did a bit of singing you know, the come other on, day. Come on, Rob, you, I mean, you're the, you're the world's best DJ. I, I'm, 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 you need to help me with these things. So, that, so, that's right. so I'm a DJ rather than a singer, right? Um, and, and I did do a bit of singing on this uh, this thing for, for stress that I put together the other day. Um, but I, I think the power of love, it's a big, big ballad, right? You need a big voice for that. So I, I, I won't try and embarrass myself. But um, or it might have been a Frankie Goes to Hollywood one. But anyway, we, di we digress. So two more questions for you. If mental health were a holiday destination, where would it be? It has to be my little paradise, which is Hamanas, a little fishing village on the west coast of the Cape province. Um, and it's my happy place. Yeah. It's my happy place. Um, I've just spent five months there. And I just know that that place does so much for me in maintaining my mental health. Yeah. So yeah, that's it would be Hermanus in the Western Cape. Fantastic. I'm sort of pulling together an image of what that might look like, but um, yeah, it sounds wonderful. And then uh, finally, Jeff, if mental health were a sound, what sound would it be? You know, when you hear You know, when you hear um, the flow of a river over the rocks. Yeah. That's what it would be for me. Yeah. It would be that calmness, that complete attachment to being in the present, that freshness of mind that you can hear each of the drops or the bits of the water as they caress and flow over the rocks so yeah probably that would be the sound fantastic so i'm going to stitch this together so picture the scene you and i are where you've just been in your uh, happy place your uh, fishing village um in the background we can hear the sound of that river just tranquil over the rocks there's a nice breeze going on um coming from a little sort of taverna in this uh, fishing village we've got the uh, the power of love on the stereo coming out 
Um, we've just had some beautiful seafood and we, we've enjoyed that. But for dessert, we've got a Cadbury's double decker that we're sharing um, and we're, we're splitting that up. And the sun, the beautiful yellow sun, we're seeing it descend slowly. And, you know, we're just allowing time to, to go by. That's the uh, that's the image there. Wonderful. I've just closed my eyes, isn't I? I saw that. I saw that. Well, um, yeah, and I'm enjoying that double decker with you, Jeff. So uh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, look, there's so much we could talk about. Um, I'm, I'm keen to just sort of get your view on kind of where we're at with mental health in the workplace. And I guess the reason I ask is I agree with you. We have democratised it. It has been pushed up the agenda. We've got this window of opportunity to 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 make positive change. And yet... When I see the data um, on um, from coming out of the form score of what people are tagging for when their form is is dropping, work still is one of the biggest drivers. That and stress as to what causes negative form, and we're we're getting more and more data on this. So, what would you say is the the state of play in terms of workplace mental health and well being, and and kind of where are we at right now, Jeff? Yeah, Rob, I mean, I think there are, I mean, they're almost, when you ask that question, there's sort of two thoughts that go through my mind in what is behind the question. I think there's one, there's one thought, which is, well, well where, where do we think we're at in normalizing this conversation in workplaces today? Um, and I think we are still at base camp when it comes to breaking the stigma of mental ill health. We, we are at base camp. I mean, the you and I know that there are some great leaders out there. There's some great organizations who are doing some really, really good work. But, but there are a handful. We're at base camp. Mm. And you and I know that here in the UK, Australia, and Canada, we've made, some good, we've made some progress. But, I mean, there are parts of the world, you know, where the layers of stigma are still very, very thick and very deep. Yeah. I also think that... There is the whole small, medium-sized enterprise sector where the layers of stigma are abound. Um, you know, those, those organizations don't all have big HR functions, well-being offices that can support them. So, so Rob, we are at, I think we're at base camp. We're at base camp. And we actually haven't started yet to move out of base camp, yeah. is my view on the state of play with result with, with respect to stigma. Your second, the second thought was around in your question, which I thought might be behind your question is where are workplaces at in not diminishing people's lives, Rob, but enhancing people's lives. Yeah. Right. And workplaces my experience over the last nine years on this journey is there are very, very few workplaces that I go into where people's lives are being enhanced by going to work. Most of those workplaces, people's lives are being diminished. Yeah. And can I tell you the only common thread that runs through all of my conversations, the only common thread, is the competition that each sector has with me to try and prove to me why they are more stressed than the other. <laughs> so if I'm talking to people in media, oh, Jeff, you don't know how stressful it is to work in media. If I'm talking to people in advertising, oh, you know, clients and debt. If I'm talking to somebody in the NHS, if I'm talking to somebody in a law firm, I mean, all they do is compete with how stressed their workplace is. And Rob, there's a wonderful book written by Professor Jeffrey Pfeffer from Stanford University, done all the longitudinal research. And today, workplaces, and it's called, the book is called Dying for the Paycheck. Dying, not thriving for the paycheck, dying for the paycheck. And so I think we're not even near base camp when it comes to the impact that workplaces are having on people's lives. And it's so sad, Rob, because in many ways, work should be life enhancing. By going to work, it gives you a sense of purpose. By going to work, you build community, friends, relationships. By going to work, 
It forces a routine for you every single day. Yet, we have workplaces all over the world where people's lives are being diminished by going to work, being diminished. We, and you know, it often, I, often want, I often think to myself, you know, you've heard me say this before, we spend billions in health and safety. Guess what? It goes to keeping people physically safe at work. So if you'd asked me that question, where are workplaces at in maintaining and enhancing the physical safety of their employees? We're well beyond base camp, yep. right? Why don't we also want to keep people emotionally and mentally safe at work? Do I leave my emotions and my cognitive ability at the door when I walk in? No, I don't. I bring my whole self to work. So why do you only, why do you want to spend billions in just keeping me physically safe? Why don't you also want to keep me emotionally and mentally safe? And guess what? When I'm that, when I feel healthy, when I feel energized, I perform at my best. I flourish. Yet, and the only reason we do it for safety is because it's legislated. Mm. And I just hope we don't come to the day where we've got to legislate organizations to enhance and maintain the health of people. I mean, isn't it just the right thing to be doing that people who come and work for you, you show a duty of care, you look at the infrastructure, the ways of working in your organization, and you try and create a place where people are going to thrive. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think we are near base camp when it comes to the state of the nation and the impact that work and workplaces are having on the emotional and mental health of people. And it's interesting. So I think I'm hearing a little bit of progress because you used to talk about we weren't in the foothills. So we've moved from the foothills on to base camp on stigma, which is good, right? Um, and, and I'd agree with that. There's, there is progress. I think people do feel more comfortable talking about mental ill health. We're as you say, globally, we're nowhere near where we need to be. And in the UK, we're nowhere where we need to be, but we're better than we were. I think there's a, there's a bit around as well. I agree that we've, we've kind of nailed the safety bit of health and safety and, and health needs to catch up and creating psychologically safe environments. But then there's this whole other bit that is around the life enhancing nature of work and we've seen some examples like the environment agency who i think presented at one of the minds at work uh, uh, events where one of their core values is to create a life enhancing experience for for people and what a wonderful thing to try and do as an employer to create a life enhancing experience and so you mentioned that there, are, there are a few that do that well what would you say are the common themes around organizations that kind of achieve that or, or are kind of better at that than, than most? Rob, I often say that, I'm going to answer your question, but all, I often say that most of the well-being initiatives that I see in workplaces today don't stick. Doesn't stick. Yeah. They feel like tick box exercises. Guess what? We've had a well-being week. So we've ticked the box. And now the people who work for us are going to be healthy because we ran a week called the well-being week. Um, we've dedicated a lot of energy and time to mental health during mental health awareness week. And then we go back to <laughs> having ways of working and workplace cultures that actually don't do anything yeah. to enhance people's mental health. All right. So why why is this stuff not sticking? And I think that there are three things missing, Bob. The first is, or maybe four. I think leaders in most organizations think they are in, they are, they, they are, what's the word? Not, not in, they are invincible. Yeah. They think they are invincible. And by thinking they are invincible, they don't think they have to care for their health. And if you don't care for your health, you'll care for nobody else's health. Mm. So I think we have this culture of leaders thinking that they are invincible. I think the second thing is, and I, I really do believe in a principle which says, if I can't care for my own health, I won't care for the health of anybody else. If I can't care for my own mental health, 
I won't care for anybody else's mental health. I think the second thing or theme is that the very few organizations see the health of their people as a strategic priority. And you've heard me talk on that one as well. Yep. Why is it not a strategic priority? You know, I, I was in HR for 25 years and we always used to, and people used to talk about people being our most important asset. Well, no, no, it's the health, the energy of your people is the most important asset. So if it's such a critical driver of performance, and by the way, COVID has proved it to the extreme that when the world's population is not healthy, look what happens to economies, they shrink productivity around the world. And so it's not a strategic priority in organizations. I think the third reason is there's no organization accountability role. Organizations have no accountability to maintain the health of their people. They do safety, but not health. And then finally, Rob, there's no individual accountability to maintain your health. The most important driver of your performance. Individuals are in no way held accountable in an organization to maintain and enhance the most important driver of their performance, which is their health. So for me, those are the things. Those are the things that are missing. And that's why I, I, I don't think we're making the progress that we could be making in workplaces around enhancing the life of people. Yeah. And, and why... I agree with you around the the ideas that leaders think they, in a lot of cases, they're infallible, invincible, and don't need to prioritise their own health and well-being. Why do you think that is? Is, think, is that a, an outdated style of leadership? And you know, I'm, I'm wondering whether the, the style of leadership required as we travel through this pandemic, and we've seen that need for vulnerability and authenticity and openness, do you think that will change? And why do you think that sort of that, 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 that persona exists in the first place? Yeah, Rob, I mean, I, you are, you are, you're bang on. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I, at one point I was, I was rather responsible for leadership development in uni. Yeah. You know, we never, we never put one leader through a program of how to maintain the most important driver of their performance, their well-being. Mm. It wasn't part of the leadership development curriculum. It wasn't seen to be a critical ingredient to being a great leader, to bring energy, to bring passion mm. to what you do. And you know what it's like, and so do I, Rob. When we're not healthy, we've got no energy, we've got no passion, can't get things. But you know what? It's not part of the... It's not, it's not seen to be a key ingredient of a great leader, mm. their well-being. And so, therefore, as we go through developing leaders in workplaces, we teach them skills on how to maintain that. So I think that's been missing, right? I think there's, a, there's another thing that's, that's missing is, is, do you know during the pandemic, Gallup did some research asking what are followers looking for from their leaders during the pandemic? And they're looking for four things. The first thing they're looking for is a leader to instill trust. The second thing they're looking for is a leader who instills a bit of stability in these very uncertain times. The third thing they're looking for from their leader is a leader who will instill a little bit of hope. A bit, of, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Why is the mood lifted in the UK? Vaccination, hope, bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. And do you know what the fourth thing followers are wanting from their leaders? They want them to instill compassion. Compassion, Rob. That's not part of the old leadership model, a compassionate leader. We don't teach people in leadership development programs, in organizations how to show compassion, how to be that compassionate leader that you were talking about. It's not part of the stereotype. It's not part of the stereotype. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done around redefining, redefining the image, the stereotype 
the characteristics of what does good leadership look like in workplaces today? Yeah. It needs a complete redefinition. Yeah, I, I do agree. Um, interestingly, you know, we both know John Flint, the prior C, former CEO of HSBC, and I'm chatting to John on this uh, show during Mental Health Awareness Week uh, next week. Um, but you know, I think you talk, talk to John, and John obviously had that vision of creating the healthiest human system in financial services. Um, but he's also a bloody good banker, right? And I think it is possible to bring the two, but I think it's it's rare that you have that compassionate leadership and, you, you know, the other skills of, of a leader as well. Um, they do exist for sure, but we need, we need more of them. Um, the other bit that I kind of want to touch on with you, and we've, we've sort of skirted around it a little bit, but linked to the idea of work being a life-enhancing experience is meaningful activity and sense of purpose. And I know you, you, you know, you know a lot about purpose from an organizational purpose and aligning that with, um, you know, purpose of employees, but how important is, is, is purpose and meaningful activity in, in that mission of creating work uh, being a life enhancing experience, Jeff? Rob, I think it's absolutely essential. But what I would say is we need to be careful that in creating a very purposeful and meaningful workplace, we sacrifice, or what, let me say it, let me say it differently, in living out that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning, we get so attached to it that we sacrifice also looking after our physical, emotional, and mental health. Yeah. And so for me, Rob, you know, I, I work off the Warwick Edinburgh framework or their thinking around the drivers of our well-being. And, and those are our physical health at the base of the triangle, physical health. Then the next layer up in the triangle is our emotional health. The next layer in the triangle is our mental health. And the difference between emotional and mental is emotional is our feelings. Mental is our cognitive ability. And then at the apex of the triangle is that sense of purpose and that sense of meaning. And I think my challenge to workplaces today is, have you put the resources in place that are going to enhance all elements of that triangle? And we've been very good in workplaces over the years to make sure there are resources in place where people can maintain good physical health. So we have bike ride to work schemes. Mm. We have gyms, we have gym membership. I mean, we've invested in that over the years. What we haven't invested in and provided resources to do is to also give people the resources to maintain their emotional health, yeah. their mental health and very few organizations have truly wrestled with why do they do what they do? What is their purpose? What is their purpose? Now, the reason I, I gave a bit of a red flag up front is my experience in Unilever. So when I worked in Unilever the last five years, the most, the most wonderful five years, where we rediscovered Unilever's purpose, Paul Pullman came in and we did this rediscovery of Unilever's purpose. And we spent five years then beginning to live that, embed it, get it into the brands. And, you know, I remember that day engaging with him and talking about the mental health of our people. And I had done, I'd got some data which had kind of looked at our long-term absence from when we started the purpose work through to, I think it was about 2012. So it was a sort of three or four year period. Yeah. And I was expecting to see that, graph at least level, if not dropping, because we were, we were giving people an organization that had a great sense of purpose, yet the numbers were going in the wrong direction. And I think part of what was missing there is we'd become so attached to that sense of purpose that we had not taken time, energy, and effort into also ensuring that there were resources in place for people to stay physically, emotionally, and mentally healthy. Yeah. And so 
100%. It's a critical, critical ingredient. But you know, Rob, I see it in startups and in scale-ups. They are so purpose-led, yet people burn out. <laughs> because, you know, because they want to achieve it, but they are just so purpose-led that they work 24-7 and they burn themselves out. And they don't take time out to look after themselves physically, emotionally, and mentally. Yeah. And so, yes, I think it's important that yeah. be careful that it doesn't become all-encompassing. Yeah, and look, I can relate to that both as a purpose-driven individual and somebody that is working with a startup in, in terms of form score, and I don't get it right all of the time. And I my watchword is balance, right? And I have to step back exactly. a lot. And, exactly. and I have my wife, Mary, um, reminding me of that. In, in the, my regards, by the way. <laughs> I will do, Jeff, I will do. Um, reminding me of that on a regular basis, and I, I don't always get it right. Um but you're right, meaningful activity is important, but not at the expense of the other drivers of form or pillars of, of well-being. Um, thanks to Jack Green uh, on the chat. A lot of knowledge between us. We're doing our best, Jack. We're doing our best. It's me and an old mate chatting about stuff we're very passionate about. So, Jeff, I'm conscious of time. I want to get into one more theme with you over the next few minutes, if I may. And um, clearly, we've got Mental Health Awareness Week coming up, and and I agree that um, you know we should be developing awareness of our mental health and well-being all of the time. Um, but I, I particularly like this theme for next week, which is nature and the environment, and um, embracing that. And I think it's a great theme for right now. But on the the sort of subject of that, I was just keen to get your experiences of being in nature on the Minds in the Wild um, trip. Um, and again, I've got a Minds in the Wild trip planned to Jordan in 2022, um, which I think is brilliant. And I think it's actually quite timely, notwithstanding the difficulties of travel and whether it's possible right now, I think it will be next year. Um, but tell us what Minds in the Wild's about and particularly your experience of that, that trip. Was it Ecuador you went? Yeah, Rob, it was. I mean, it was, and, you know, it was with, uh, who was with, it was HSBC, yeah, I think. That's we, right. we did a session, you know, where we took some leaders from HSBC out to Ecuador. And I mean, just just a bit of context to that and, and how I kind of got involved in it. But they wanted me to go and do some talk um, prior to the trip because they wanted to raise some money for a mental health charity. And I kind of thought, I mean, I can't fly all the way to, you know, to there just to do a 40-minute talk. Um but what I will do is, could we use the five days that you are trekking to do three things? The first is, yes, to raise some money for a mental health charity, which you want to do, which is great. The second thing is, could we use the five days to really get people to truly reflect on their well-being and give them some tips, some thoughts, and some ideas on how do they maintain the most valuable asset they have in their life, which is their well-being. And then thirdly, could we make sure that when they leave the trip, every single one of them is an agent for change in going to break the stigma of mental ill health back in the workplace that they've come from. And so, and so that was the proviso in terms of going out and engaging. And you know, Rob, building in those moments while we were out in nature, where people were able to just completely be themselves, where they found it safe to be able to walk with somebody and just talk, where others felt that they could just walk and just listen, where there was no distraction in terms of a mobile phone, a laptop, an email, and there was just a complete, complete connection and a feeling of being present. And, and that, I suppose that environment, that context provided for the most powerful of conversations, the most powerful of conversations where people got ideas on how they would go back and break the stigma, but it also provided opportunity, you know, I had time where I just walked on my own and it just gave me time to reflect on my own well-being, my own health. What are the things that I could start to do differently without all the distractions and the data that gets thrown at me 
24-7 every single day. And so, Rob, I think that, you know, your idea and your theme around using next week and, and the importance of connecting and truly reconnecting with nature, I think is a, it's a wonderful, wonderful theme. Uh, and, and, it, and I think it's something that is critical. It's a critical ingredient in, in maintaining good mental health. And, 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 you know, I look at young people today, these young kids who are so addicted to social media, to their screens, and who are just not getting out there and, and appreciating, you know, the colors of the leaves, the brightness of the sun, the sound of the wind, uh, as a moment to just be in the present and to just relax and, and turn that tap and allow some of those stresses to just disappear as you're in that moment of, of being present and close to nature. Yeah, fantastic. Well, hopefully we'll be all getting back out into nature together, connecting, building those connections. Uh, we'll put some details of uh, our potential trip to Jordan. And I think there's something special around, you know, panoramic views, side by shoulder to shoulder conversation, oh. creating safe, non-threatening spaces to inspire people to go and, as you say, become ambassadors for change back in their workplace. So um, it's a it's a great thing. So, Jeff, um, thank you so much. Um, one last quick question for you. If you give us one piece of wisdom, one well-being nugget, we're curating a series of well-being golden nuggets. What's the one thing that you would advise people to do in looking after their well-being? Make time for your wellness. Because if you don't, you might one day be forced to make time for your illness. Indeed. Make time for your wellness so you're not forced to take make time for your illness. Very good. Jeff, I could talk to you forever on this sort of stuff. Thank you for sharing uh, your, some of your time with me. Um, enjoy the, uh, the rest of your uh, stay in the Sofitel um, and look forward to seeing you in real life soon. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me, Rob. And Pleasure. keep up your great work. You too. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Jeff.